So if you would, grab your Bibles. We're going to flip open and read that passage in Mark. It's always good to start in scriptures. Really simple passage. Mark 1, verses 14 and 15. It says this, after John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Let me say that again. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent. Repent. And believe the good news. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you so much for the fact that you are a God that is on the move. Lord, when you talk about kingdoms, you talk about kingdoms in ways that we can't even understand. And we thank you for the fact that even just in this little text, we see an incredible window into all that you had planned for us and still have planned for us right now in this day and in this age. And Lord, would you be with us tonight as we talk about this kingdom? Allow our mind to be clear. Help us, Lord, to be focused. Lord, we want to learn what it means to be a part of this kingdom. And we want to follow you as our king. We love you, Jesus, and we look to you, and in your name we pray, amen. So what's amazing is, it, as Jose mentioned last week, in this one little passage, uh, basically Mark kind of pushes all that Jesus was teaching, everything that he was about, into like this brief little sentence about the kingdom of heaven being near. And it's a summary statement, really, of of a lot of the New Testament. In fact, it's crazy because uh, the idea of the kingdom of heaven or kingdom of God is mentioned over 150 times in the Gospels. I mean, blowing away anything else. It's just 150 times it talks about the kingdom of God. And in the Gospel of John, John uses a slightly different way of talking about it. He talks about it as, as eternal life. And then all throughout the rest of the epistles and into Peter, we see these authors describing the kingdom of God in a whole bunch of different ways. The Apostle Paul talking about it as being adopted into this family uh, or, or being justified or being made righteous in him. And we, see, uh, the, the, we see Peter describing it as this kingdom of, of priests working together. And really, we see the New Testament as a picture of, of a story, really, of a whole bunch of descriptions of what it means to be a part of a kingdom. But there's a problem. <laughs> this central message has kind of not been the central message of the church for quite a while. In fact, actually, for the last, like, 10 years or so, it's been a little bit on the rise. We're starting to see books on it again. But, but go back beyond that, and really, at the church that even I grew up in, I could probably count on one hand the amount of messages I ever heard on the kingdom of God. It just really wasn't talked about. And, and it kind of leads you to wonder, if, if this message is so central, in the New Testament especially, why don't we talk about it? Why, why hasn't it been talked about in the church? Why is it such a, a, a mysterious thing? And there's probably a bunch of answers to that question, but, but the one answer that I think probably is more than all the others is that it's kind of confusing. 
It's one of those topics that really, when you start looking at it and start diving into it, it feels like it's complex and there's all these different things that are being said and it's, it's kind of hard to get your mind around. It's, it kind of seems like it's, it, it disagrees with itself at different times even. And if anybody here is in this place of thinking that the kingdom, the conversation about the kingdom is confusing, it's good, I've got good news for you. It was confusing to the first people that heard it too. In fact, uh, when Jesus came, he began talking about this kingdom and all the people around him were confused. I imagine that they would look at him with these question marks in their eyes like, what, what is he talking about? Jesus would describe it in a story. He says, the kingdom of heaven, it's like this tiny little seed that we plant in a garden. It's like a, like a mustard seed. And it grows into this big tree that all the birds of the air come and nest in. What? What does that mean, Jesus? What are you saying to me? I don't understand. Well, it's like the kingdom of heaven is like leaven put into, into dough that you need, and, and it works its way throughout all of the dough. It's, it's like that. Ah, that actually doesn't help me. I don't even understand exactly what you're talking about right now. I thought leaven was a bad thing. You know, and, and you can imagine that the, the expressions on the faces of the disciples and, of, and, and the Pharisees that were around is a little bit of confusion. You know, because as Jose even talked about last week, the, the Jews were looking for a very different type of kingdom. They were looking for a king that would come in the moment. I don't know if you guys remember, uh, Jose talked about this idea of the now and the not yet that the kingdom had come and it was like inaugurated in the person of Jesus, but it wasn't yet fully there. And the Jews, they were looking for the kingdom to come in its fullness now. So when Jesus came and he was kind of just this rabbi and he performed all these amazing miracles, but he, but he didn't throw, overthrow any governments or, or do anything like that, it was very confusing for them. I don't know if this will help at all, but for me, as I think about the now and the not yet, I, I, I think of bullwinkles. That was a good point to laugh because they're really, why I think of Bullwinkles? It doesn't make any sense. Yes, there you go. So I think of Bullwinkles. I went to Bullwinkles yesterday. Uh, my son, sitting in the front row, he turns 13 today. He's officially a teenager now, which is frightening. And, um, and we went to Bullwinkles yesterday, and a part of that was is he really wanted to drive the go-karts. And, um, and I had one of those now and not yet moments. As I was watching my son behind the wheel of a car, driving, and thinking to myself, this is, just, this is just the start of things to come. Really, this is just a moment representing a future of panic in his mother's eyes and fear and lots of swerving all over the road. Uh, and and in, that, in, in that place, we see this, we saw him living out a future that he will someday realize when he's like 37. <laughs> he doesn't know that yet. Uh, and... and and that's the same way that the kingdom works. Jesus comes, he, he shows us, he introduces the idea, he brings in this moment of, of what the kingdom's going to be, but it's not in its fulfillment yet. He doesn't come as that final king that we're expecting. There's a great, great picture of this from a, a German scholar. His name is Oskar Kuhlmann. Uh, and he, he, write, he was writing after World War II, and he was talking about, he actually used the analogy of D-Day and V-Day. 
and said how in many ways that is a great picture of what Jesus did. If you guys know anything about history of the war, uh, in June 6, 1944, the Allies crashed onto the Normandy beach and they created a beachhead. And in this moment, they, they drove back the enemy and created a space in France where the Allies had their foot, where they could walk forward. And any, any historian and many of the people even in that time would tell you that on that day or in those days, the war was won. The war was finished, actually. But it wasn't until May, a year later, May 8th, 1945, that the battle actually was finished. Then they actually had V-Day, Victory in Europe Day. And this, this scholar is saying, it's like we're living between D-Day and V-Day. Jesus came, he crashed into earth in his flesh, and he drove back and he, and he struck down the enemy in a mighty, mighty blow, and he created an incredible beachhead for us and then began the process of systematically taking back over this world that was his. And we live in this moment in the war when things are conflicted and there's still lots of damage and people are getting hurt and there's lots of wounds and, and, it's, and it's horrible. It's a battle. But there's a victory coming. There is a victory coming. And that, that day when our Lord comes back, crashing through to our earth again, he will bring the final decisive blow. And then it will be V-Day for us. It's this idea of the now and not yet. It's kind, of, it's kind of a part of our story to know that there is something on the horizon that generates hope inside of us, that drives us forward as a people. And so the kingdom of God doesn't become just this uh, idea or just this philosophy, but actually something that motivates us and moves us forward as a people. Which is why today, or tonight, I, I really want to talk more about kind of the nuances and some of the pieces of what the kingdom of God actually is like. I want to drill down. I want to get this on the six-foot level. What exactly is the kingdom of God? Now, I know that because of some of the fuzziness, uh, sometimes it can be uh, confusing to say, well, it's exactly this. So I'm, I'm actually going to talk about what it's not. I'm going to take four misconceptions about the kingdom, and I want to lay out these four misconceptions, and then as we explore them, I kind of want to point to the truth that's inside of them that gives us a picture of what is, what is actually happening in the kingdom of God. So I'm just going to jump right into them. Uh, the first misconception, that the kingdom of God is heaven. Now, this is an interesting one. Misconception number one, because honestly, I grew up thinking this. I actually grew up in church thinking that the kingdom of of God was actually heaven itself, right? Because it made sense to me. God is on a throne in heaven, right? And, and where he's on his throne, he rules. And so that must be his kingdom. And, and that's really what I believe that the kingdom of heaven was, or the kingdom of God was. And honest, this, was, this is actually a historical thing because for generations, people have looked at the gospel of Matthew and seen where Matthew describes the kingdom of God as the kingdom of heaven. And they've thought to themselves, well, that just means that, that heaven must be where, where God's kingdom actually is. But 
if you do just a little more exploring, you begin to see that actually the kingdom of heaven was just another way of saying the kingdom of God. The audience that Matthew was teaching to was, was an audience full of conservative and devout Jews who would never ever want to say the name God out loud. They wouldn't want to do that ever. And so instead they would substitute out a word to replace it. And the word that they chose was heaven because heaven made sense. It was a place where God was. And so they said the kingdom of heaven, which is basically another way of saying the kingdom of God. Now, remember, you, if you guys have been around Solid Rock for any length of time, you've, you've heard us talk about heaven and what heaven is and what heaven isn't. Heaven is not just some mystical place that's far away. It's not this idea of something that's like, just when I die, I go off and I'm in heaven. No, actually, the scriptures are really clear about what heaven is. Heaven is God's space. And believe it or not, heaven, God's space, is actually amongst us. It's actually here. It's present. It's touchable. It's as close to us as the presence of God is himself. Because where God is, his heavens is. His, his heavenly is. His heaven space is. And so when we think about heaven, we can't think about it as some detached place, some place far off, but as a place that is with us. Now, truly, there is a space, as we were talking about Whitney's mom, where we go and we're present when we're absent from our body, that we are present with God. But it gets confusing when we refer to that place as heaven, because heaven is a place that will come crashing into earth and become a part of our story. You guys remember when Jesus was teaching the disciples what it means to pray. And he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. Where? As it is in heaven. Right. The idea being here that there was something that was going to transpire on earth, the will of God on earth, that would be just like it is in heaven. Heaven would come to earth. Really, if you think about it, the kingdom of heaven is very earthly. There is actually an earthiness to it. And, and, and it's in this place of earth that God does some of his most mighty works. If you think about earth as a place that God has put his stamp, as his greatest creative work, if God is an artist, and, and earth is the place that his, his greatest kind of um, artistic design, then we, we kind of need to think about our reaction to what we do with this planet, don't we? I, I've heard somebody say that Christians should actually be the greatest environmentalists for a whole bunch of different motives. But we should care about this planet. We should care about the, the, the other parts of this planet, the other creatures on this planet. Because God has not escaped from this place. He's here. He's present. Remember, God put us here to care for this planet. And secondly, someday when he returns, he will remake this planet. So why am I talking about this? Well, the kingdom of heaven is on earth. It is an earthly type of kingdom as well. Not a separate, not just a heavenly far off place, but a here place. This misconception about, about the kingdom of God just being heavenly points 
us towards some truths. I, I think one of the ones that it points us to is that God is looking for us to be present here now with his kingdom. I, when I was, in, I was a missionary, my family was missionaries in Scotland for uh, about five years. And we used to, very often, as a walking culture, we would go from place to place on foot. And, and one of the ways that we decided that we were going to show our neighbors that we cared for our neighborhood was that we were actually going to take care of our neighborhood. And so every once in a while, we would stuff a garbage bag in our pocket, and we'd walk around, and we'd pick up garbage. And I remember getting into a, a conversation with somebody on the street one time. They just were, like, puzzled. Why are you doing this? Like, why take care of this neighborhood? Well, it was interesting, because I don't know that I'd fully thought through it before he asked me this question. And, and I got into a conversation about the fact that, actually, because God cares about this place, and that actually... God wants me to not neglect this place. Revelation 22 tells us that when he comes back, he will remake all things. He will make them new. And someday, Jesus' prayer will be answered. All things in heaven, everything in the heavens will come to earth. Misconception number two. The kingdom of God is the church. Now, I, I actually hear this one quite a bit. In fact, there's a lot of authors that write stuff on this. Uh, they'll talk about the kingdom of, of God as actually being uh, the people of God, the church itself. Now, there's some truth in this. We are certainly a part of that kingdom, definitely. But there's some problems with it too. Because the moment that you say that the kingdom of God and the church are the same, you begin to put things on top of the church that it was never intended to carry. In fact, you, you, you burden the church with a, with, with a weight that is impossible for it to carry. The truth is, is there is only one king and his name is Jesus. There is only one Messiah and he is the one that carries the weight of the kingdom's work. We run into this problem when we put too much weight on the church and we expect it to be the kingdom. We were, actually, it's two problems, connected problems. The first one is, is that the church itself doesn't bear the load. We begin to expect things of the church that it can never fulfill. It, 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 it tries to, to be Messiah. It tries to uh, change everything on its own. It tries to be strong enough, good enough, work hard enough, and it fails because it's made of people who are just people. And the second problem that comes up as a result of this is that people look at the church and they, they point at it and they say, look, you, are, you can't do this either. You're a hypocrite. You're a bunch of hypocrites. And we, we've got to reconcile the fact that we were never intended to shoulder the weight of the kingdom. We were simply asked to participate now, I have a class that I like to teach uh, for our missional communities. And, and in it, we have a video that we like to show of uh, this one missional community. And, and we talk about it, and I'll ask questions, and I'll, and I'll ask them the question, who is this missional community on mission to? And they'll say, oh, they're on mission to blah, 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 and onto these people. And then I'll ask them the question, who are they on mission with? And they'll list out all their coworkers or their neighbors or their fellow Christians and they'll get through the list and they'll come to a place where they'll be, they'll say like, and 
Jesus? It's like, yeah, that's a good answer. But how, how easy it is for us to forget that actually we're on mission with Jesus. And maybe more accurately to say, we're actually joining Jesus on his mission. When we think about the kingdom of God, this is his work, and the church gets the opportunity to join him in that mission. But it's not our mission. It's his. And what's great about that is that when things go wrong, because they will, we don't have to point at each other. When things go wrong, we can just pray. We can just point to God and say, God, we can't shoulder this. It's not ours to carry. And we've got these great ideas of Saul Rock and all these amazing things that we want to do. And I'll tell you this, lots of them fail. And that's okay. Because it's God's mission. He's the one that's on the, on the spot. It's his work to do. And we simply join him. Someday, God will take his church, his bride, and they will be married and there will be an ultimate moment where the church and, and Jesus are united together for eternity. But even then, we will only be a part of the story, not the center of the story. Remember, this is Jesus' mission. So the kingdom of God is not heaven. Kingdom of God is not the church. Number three, misconception number three, the kingdom of God is political. Now, this one... This one's complicated. It might ruffle some feathers. Whether it's more on a, a, on a liberal side, whether it's kind of a justice movement, you know, we're going we're gonna to change the world. The kingdom of God is going to change the world in a justice movement. Or whether it's more in the right conservative mentality of, uh, you know, we're going to put the right people in power. If we could just get the right guy elected in at top, then everything would be Okay. And both of these ideas that the kingdom of God is this, is this political thing, but the, but the problem is, this is not the strategy that Jesus adopted. In fact, Jesus' strategy was very, very different. If you guys want to flip with me over to Matthew 20. Jesus seemed to think that the way forward wasn't to have power over but the way forward was actually to have power under. Where men and women, in a grassroots kind of way, embody the kingdom. In Matthew 20, uh, picking up, uh, say, verse 24, she's got this crazy story where it's actually, you know, this mother comes on behalf of her sons. It's Mother's Day, after all. Uh, on behalf of her sons, says, Jesus, could my, could my two sons stand at either of your sides in the kingdom? And Jesus has a really interesting answer. And the, and the disciples around him, they get indignant, and they get frustrated, and it goes on like this, verse 24. When the ten heard about this, they were indignant with the two brothers. And Jesus called them together and said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give a life as ransom for many. 
And Jesus says, if you want to be great, then you must be a servant. Now, that isn't to say that we don't try to, to be a part of politics. It isn't to say that we don't try to uh, be a part of academia or the arts or, or to get into in, uh, positions of authority or influence. No, in fact, we really do need to do that. But we need to do that in, in the words of uh, James Davis Hunt, uh, Hunter as faithful presence. People who are present, who are there, and they show what faith looks like. They're in the highest levels of leadership, but they don't try to do the power play. They just show up and show what Jesus looks like. They're unwavering. They have strong integrity. They won't buckle. They persevere when other people quit, and they show the people around them who Jesus is, a faithful presence. Jesus came and there were many times that he was tried to be, they tried to corner him into, into trying to go political and trying to, and try to talk against Caesar or to try to talk against, and, and honestly, over and over again, Jesus kind of sidesteps it and sidesteps it. In the midst of this, Jesus says, we must come to serve. We can't bring the kingdom to Portland. In fact, it's not our job. But what we can do is we can bring ourselves to Portland. We can't bring the kingdom to Hillsborough. But what we can bring is ourselves. We can't bring the kingdom to Beaverton. But what we can do is we can bring ourselves. When we show up with a faithful presence, as faithful presence with Jesus written all over us, we transform all of the things that we begin to touch. And it can be very hard and very frustrating. One of the most powerful ways to do this, and I promise this is my only plug for the evening, is to get into a missional community. And if you're not in a missional community, I want to encourage you, this is one of the most amazing ways that God is moving right now in the city. And God is shaping workplaces. We've got incredible stories of, of communities that are meeting in workplaces or, or coming together a bunch of young professionals from the same area. We've got amazing stories of, of, of students in, in schools, at college campuses and university campuses working together on mission to the students around them. We've got story after story of, of, of neighbors and neighborhoods that are being impacted for the sake of the kingdom. My missional community is actually on mission in our neighborhood, and I can tell you, God is doing amazing things in our neighborhood, almost too much for us to, to bear. It's incredible. And in this way, we reflect the kingdom, not by doing the power play, but by being a grassroots movement, by infiltrating every neighborhood, every workspace, every school, and being a faithful presence. Misconception number four. The kingdom of God is spiritual. Now, this is one that uh, we pastors hear about a lot. And, and we bump up to it a lot, and especially in the West, especially in uh, the West of the West, and especially in the Northwest. We are fiercely independent. And, and there's kind of this strong sense of like, don't tell me what to do. Right? Now, I'm from Canada originally, 
And I just discovered that actually Canadians do this too, but we do it with a smile on our face. We're, we're a lot more like, don't tell me what to do, you know. Uh, but you guys are a lot more like, go, go for it, don't tell me what to do, you know. And, and this is the thing, what, the, what that's multiplied inside the church as is this type of independence in our faith. We talk about a personal relationship with Jesus, you know, and of course it is. I mean, this is so true. There's so much truth in that. But there's a problem with that too, isn't there? Because suddenly this idea of the kingdom of God becomes this holy little place that's inside my own heart. And that's it. The kingdom of God is that, is that mighty work that God does when I get up from, you know, at seven o'clock and read my Bible for 15 minutes. The kingdom of God is this incredible thing that happens when I pray on my way to work. Now, there's truth in that. But that is not all that the kingdom of God is. In fact, the kingdom of God transcends that, moves through that. Jesus even says that the kingdom of God is in us, but a part of the whole point of it being in us is that it would flow out of us. It's, it's so difficult. We, we've inherited this because of this idea of the personal relationship. And yet God's perspective, God's scope is so much more cosmic Remember, God's rule extends everywhere. God does rule in your heart if you're a follower of Jesus, but he also rules everywhere. And the movement of his kingdom is, a, is all over the globe. He desires to infiltrate and be the ruler everywhere. Our king Jesus will rule, and someday every knee will bow. So, Four misconceptions. What's intriguing to me with these four misconceptions is that when you boil them all down, really, they, they all have one big common denominator. They all try to take the kingdom of God and make it smaller. They, they try to limit it. They try to take this big idea and they try to box it down into a smaller idea. And so there is truth in each of them, but the truth is a little bit bent and a little bit fuzzy because it's not the full truth of what the kingdom is. When the kingdom of God is, is heaven, we see an attempt that, Jews, that Jesus would just rule kind of over this distant place, this disconnected place. If the kingdom of God is heaven, then it's, well, it's not actually here yet. It's, it's something that's set apart. It's far away. When the kingdom of God is the church, it, it, it puts God's rule only over just these people in this room and the other gathered churches around the city. Well, you know, God does rule, but he only rules over those people that are in, those, in that building and at that time. But God's rule is way bigger than that. When the kingdom of God is political, we make it about what's going on at Washington. And we see how the wires get crossed with this. Christianity and, and what does it actually look like in, from Washington? And it suddenly becomes this distant, far-off thing. Now, the kingdom of God, it does have influence in those places, but it, but it also rules over my marriage. And it also rules over how I treat my kids. It, it rules over the tangible, real parts of my life in the here and now. Or, or the misconception of the kingdom of God being spiritual. It's a way that it shrinks Jesus' rule down to just what goes on inside my heart. Just my heart, Jesus. I think Jesus is kind of knocking at the door of our life, often saying, yeah, but what about the rest of your life? 
Yeah, I love the fact that you give me that 15 minutes in the morning or, or that 30 minutes in the morning. That's, that's fantastic. But what about the eight, nine, 10 hours that you're at work? And what about the, the two or three hours after work when you come home and you're grumpy? What about those hours? I want to rule over those hours too. Or what about the two hours just before you go to bed where you sit mindlessly and look at the television because you're so exhausted from your day? I want to rule over those too. Then God's rule extends further and further and he wants all 24 hours. The question is, what would it look like if God's rule was over every part of your life? What, what would that look like? What, what, if, what if God's rule was over every aspect of every moment of every part of my day? What would that look like? The trick is, God wants that. That's what, it, that's what his kingdom is about. It's about his rule invading it all. Some, some people are expecting to see this crazy, amazing thing where the kingdom of God is just this elaborate, you know, complicated thing of army and military and coming in, just like the Jews, right? That's what the Jews wanted. They wanted the kingdom of God to come and to take over and to rule and to come over. And Jesus keeps saying, no, I want your heart. I want your heart. I want your heart. You know, all of us have a kingdom, don't we? I mean, we all are a queendom, if you're a girl. We all, we all have this little space, this little range of, of our domain, you know, for Tim. I've got this place where I rule. It's not very big. I have four kids. Uh, and, and, but I do. I've got this. I've got my space, my dominion, where I'm sovereign over it. I control the decisions. I will them. This morning, I got up, got out of bed, decided, walked into my closet, which I only have rule over about that much of my closet. <laughs> but I got into, I went into my closet, and I looked at it, my dominion, my territory, and I looked at it, and I made my decision, pulled out the shirt. I hope you guys are okay with it. Pulled out shorts, because I thought it was going to be a lot warmer than it is today. Um, and I put them on in my sovereign choice and decision. I was ruling in that moment, as long as my wife was okay with it. And, and, I, and I stepped into my day, right? And, and I made other decisions that were within my control, within my power. I had my own little kingdom. Now, if you don't believe that you have your own little kingdom, then just get married. Because when you get married, it's like one kingdom and another kingdom collide. And we all know what, king, what happens when kingdoms collide. It's called war, right? And so, and in, in marriage, I love you, honey. In, in marriage, kingdoms collide because dominions collide. Choices, my will collides with another will. And then as those collisions happen, then little kingdomites and kingdomettes come out, right? And suddenly there's little kingdoms running around and there's all this conflict and co I have four kids. Did I mention that? I have four kids. And there's all this noise and ruckus and people bumping into people. Dominions bumping into dominions, right? And, and that, that place, those places, that's where God wants to invade. God desires to see his kingdom come into this space. 
Now, I, as I mentioned, I grew up in Canada. And so uh, the idea of a queen is not foreign to me, but it's pretty foreign. I mean, when I think about when, growing up, what I would have thought the queen was, I, I thought she would be, basically she's got her face on our money, okay? Uh, and she lives in a place far away. I'm not even sure where that is exactly. And in some sort of way, she's completely disconnected from my life. Like, I don't know how, she, how her influence influences me, but there's something there and I don't fully get it. Isn't that kind of a little bit how sometimes we treat God? Like, he's on our money, and God we trust, at least for a little while. And, and he's, he's out there somewhere, distant, disconnected maybe, and he's got this kingdom, and I'm not really sure exactly how it connects with my life in a real way. And some, sometimes don't we operate that way? A little confused, a little disconnected? I want to tell you all tonight that Jesus stands before us as a king, as a rightful king, as a loving king, as a good king, and asks for our allegiance. And when he does, we have a choice, we have an opportunity to submit, to surrender, to say, yes, Lord, I want you to reign in every part of me. Would you all stand with me, please? I'd like to do a little bit of an exercise as we kind of wrap up tonight. A little bit of reflection, a little bit of of listening to what God might have to say for us. So if you would, just close your eyes and and maybe even uh, put your hands out if you're comfortable with it, uh, just in a receiving posture. And I I want you to ask a question, pray a question. What's the one area in your life where God doesn't rule? A place, a space even in your day, maybe it's a sin that you've struggled with, maybe it's some place of uh, pushing away that you've had with God. No, not here, not here. But he doesn't rule. Let's just spend some time listening.